The scripture for this evening's message is Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 32. To the Christian, the cross is wonderful. But how could something so horrible be wonderful? To the Christian, the cross is glorious. But how could something so gruesome be glorious? The title of the message this evening is Why Christians Glory in the Cross. Even though he knew Jesus was innocent, Pilate handed Jesus over to the Roman guards to be crucified. Scripture says he did it just to make the Jews happy. The scripture for tonight describes what happens next. Mark 15, 16 to 32. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. So the soldiers took him away into their palace, that is the praetorium. They called together the whole Roman cohort and they dressed him up in purple. After twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to greet him, hail king of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling. They were bowing down before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the countryside, Simus of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide who should take what. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were blaspheming him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, you who were going to destroy the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, mocking him to one another, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Please be seated. Niccolo Machiavelli was a philosopher and politician and a writer during the Renaissance era. His writings have had a pretty great influence on political science, even of our day. Machiavelli believed that for political leaders to be effective, they needed to be ruthless and tyrannical, not empathetic and just. So, so what were Machiavelli's thoughts about Jesus? Let me give you a little summary. From a practical perspective, Jesus' life was an outright disaster. This gentle soul was trampled upon and humiliated, disregarded and mocked. 
he was one of history's greatest losers. You see, people like Machiavelli look at the cross. They look at Jesus on the cross and they only see defeat. To the world, a man tortured and bleeding and humiliated and nailed to a tree and left to die is grotesque. The world finds the preaching of the cross ridiculous and defensive. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.23. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. You see, the Jews have no place in their belief system for a crucified king. A crucified Messiah just doesn't fit in with their thinking. And the world can't fathom why anyone would celebrate a man being killed by crucifixion. Yet Christians do. It makes no sense. Tonight, what I, I want to say to you is it doesn't matter what anyone says. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. You and I must never be ashamed of the message of the cross. We, we can't just believe in it. We, we need to boast in it. We need to celebrate the cross. Listen, the world needs to hear the message of the cross. And that means you and I can't afford to be timid about it. We have to preach the cross without hesitation or without reservation. We, we, we need to teach it to our children. We need to talk about it to our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers. We need to tell of the cross on the other side of the street and on the other side of the world. Despite the fact that the world sees it as ridiculous and offensive and grotesque, Christians glory in the cross. Tonight, I want to remind you of something you may already know. I want to remind you, why is it that Christians glory in the cross? My prayer tonight is twofold. One, I pray that we would be stirred to a greater sense of awe and wonder over the cross and what was accomplished there. Two, I pray that God would grant us a greater boldness to speak of the message of the cross. In the verses that we're looking at tonight, we have two reasons why Christians glory in the cross. Here's the first reason. The cross is Christ's coronation. The cross is Christ's coronation. Once Pilate hands Jesus over to the Roman guard, the soldiers then take Jesus to the palace, it says. This would be Herod's palace. And um, Herod's palace was used as the praetorium. The praetorium means the official residence of the governor of Judea. And when the governor was in Jerusalem, he stayed in, Pilate's, in, Pilate, in uh, Herod's palace. And this is where the royal Roman guard stayed at the praetorium. And here it says they gathered the whole Roman cohort, verse 16. That would be as many as 600 Roman soldiers. Now, I want you to remember something. Jesus had been condemned to death for claiming to be the king of the Jews. 
Well, since Jesus wants to be king, the soldiers decide they're going to give him a little coronation ceremony. And the ceremony has two parts. In verses 17 through 20, Jesus is crowned. Then in verses 21 through 28, he is enthroned. First, I want you to notice this. First, Jesus is crowned. Verse 17, they dress Jesus in purple. Purple is a color often associated with royalty. Now, this was probably a soldier's cloak they used, and it was probably closer to scarlet in color, but it was to serve as his royal robe. And since every king needs a crown, they make one for Jesus out of branches of thorns. They twist together and make a wreath and press it into his skull. So Jesus has his royal robe. He has his royal crown, but every king needs a scepter. If you'll notice verse 19, it says, they kept beating his head with a reed. This is a papyrus reed. Papyrus would be similar to young bamboo, really stiff, really hard. And what Mark doesn't tell us, we find out from Matthew in chapter, Matthew 27, 29. Before they started hitting Jesus with this reed, they put it in his hand to serve as his scepter, right? So the king now has his royal robe, he has his crown, they put his scepter in his hand. And now that the king has his royal regalia on, they begin to... They begin the time of royal acclamation. You see it in verse 18. They begin to say, Hail, King of the Jews. This is the way they would address Caesar, only they would say, Hail, Caesar. So they're speaking to Jesus like you would a king. And in verse 19, you also see they were kneeling. They were bowing down before Jesus. What are they doing? What's all this about? the robe and the reed as a scepter and the crown and hail king of the Jews. What are they doing? They're mocking him. They're mocking him. These were fake expressions of reverence designed to make fun of Jesus. And their mockery was mixed with cruelty. In verse 19, you see, they took that scepter from Jesus' hand and began to repeatedly beat him on the head with it. And the Bible says here they were spitting on him. That, that's a way of insulting someone, expressing contempt for them. And the scripture here says, verse 20, after they mocked him, they took the purple off of him, put his own clothes back on him, and they lead him toward Calvary, where he will be crucified. And this is where the second part of the coronation ceremony begins. We've seen they crowned him, dressed him as king, now they're going to put the king on his throne. I want you to notice in verse 21, we see someone carrying Jesus' cross. Now, those who were crucified had to carry the horizontal cross beam to the place of crucifixion. And Jesus began his journey toward Golgotha carrying the cross beam. But remember back in verse 15, Pilate had him scourged, had him flogged. Now what is that? A scourge is a wooden handle 
with long leather strips on it. And the end of those leather strips is weighted down with bone and pieces of metal and glass. And that's so when they strike you across the back, those pieces of glass and metal and bone would grip into your skin and they would snatch it and rip the skin off of you. They had done this to Jesus. Some people die just from the scourging. Some people never make it to the cross. Well, Jesus didn't die, but he was so weak from the flogging, he was unable to carry his cross. So the soldiers force a man named Simon. Simon was from the North African city of Cyrene. No doubt he was there for Passover. Simon is forced to carry Jesus' cross. Now, it was custom, Jewish and Roman custom, to, to crucify criminals outside of the city limits. So Jesus is taken to Golgotha. And Mark tells us here what Golgotha means. It means place of the skull. Why does Mark tell us what it means? Because Mark wants us to hear the irony, place of a skull. Doesn't that sound appropriate as a place of torture and death? Place of the skull. The soldiers, it says, try to give Jesus some wine, verse 23, mixed with myrrh. Now, if this was wine mixed with myrrh, that would be a luxury. This would be the kind of wine that kings would be served. And it's possible they're still trying to mock Jesus, giving him this king's wine. But Jesus doesn't play their game. Jesus refuses to drink it. Once they reach Golgotha, verse 24, they crucify him. Now, I don't need to explain to you what that means. We all know what crucifixion is. Jesus was nailed to the cross beam and lifted above the earth, suspended above heaven and earth, nailed to the cross. Now, I want you to, you need to picture this with me. Once Jesus is on the cross, he's elevated. You with me? He's above the crowd. And above his head, there's a placard. There's a sign. Verse 26 tells us what it says. The king of the Jews. So keep this picture in your mind. Jesus is elevated above the people. His title, king of the Jews. And now we see, verse 27, he has one on his right and one on his left. Two robbers who were crucified with him. Someone on his right, someone on his left. Let me take you back to Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 37. You don't have to look there. I'll read it to you. Let me remind you what Mark 10, 35 says. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right, one on your left in your glory. You see what James and John picture is Jesus elevated on his royal throne. One of them on the right, one of them on the left, holding positions of power. Now get that scene in your head. Jesus is elevated, sitting on his royal throne. He has one man on his right and one man on his left. Now go back to the picture of Calvary. Jesus is elevated. Above the people. His title above him. King. And he has one man on his right. And one man on his left. 
What is Mark trying to show us? The cross is Jesus' throne. See, don't miss this. When the soldiers pretended to crown Jesus, they actually were crowning Jesus. When they put Jesus on the cross, they were putting Jesus on his throne. Oh, they didn't know it. When they mocked him as king, they were making him king. I want you to think carefully about this. It is by the suffering that they inflicted on Jesus that the scripture was fulfilled. What they did to him fulfilled the scripture. When they divided up Jesus' clothes, verse 24, they were fulfilling Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18. When they crucified Jesus with two criminals, verse 27, they were fulfilling Isaiah 53, 12. When Jesus is mocked and insulted in verses 28 to 32, they are fulfilling Psalm 22, 6 through 8. The nails in his hands and feet are a fulfillment of Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. 16. Listen, if you just go to Psalm 22 in Isaiah 53, the, the crucifixion is described in great detail. And if you read this account, the soldiers carried out every detail of what God said was going to happen. This is what I need you to see. The cross was not an unexpected detour for Jesus on the way to the throne. The cross was the way to the throne. Now I'm going to give you a scripture that's going to make this abundantly clear. Listen carefully. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Therefore, because Jesus humbled himself to death and went to the cross, therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't miss what Paul said there. He says, because Jesus went to the cross, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, and every knee will bow and confess him Lord. What I want you to see is this. It is when Jesus went to the cross, that he was enthroned as king. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead? Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I want you to catch this. He said that after the cross. All authority. He had died, he had risen, and because of his crucifixion, God had given him all authority in heaven and earth. What I want you to see is just what Paul said. It is because Jesus went to the cross that God gave him the name above every name. That God declared him the one before whom all nations and people would bow. Are you beginning to understand what I mean when I say the cross is Christ's coronation? You see, the Jews in Roman, they thought Jesus would go from the cross to the tomb and that would be the end of it. But that wasn't the end of it. He went from the cross to the tomb to the right hand of the throne of God. 
We glory in the cross because on the cross, Jesus secured His place as the King whose kingdom will have no end. Listen, when they killed Him, they crowned Him. When they put Him in the tomb, they were putting Him on the throne. They just didn't know it. The cross is the reason the angels in heaven say with a loud voice, Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The cross is the reason the angels in heaven sing His praise. Christians are not ashamed of the cross or the one who died there. Why? Because on that cross, God turned a crucifixion into a coronation. Here's the second reason Christians glory in the cross. Not only is the cross Christ's coronation, the cross is our salvation. Now we come to verses 29 to 32. The focus of these verses is primarily on the verbal abuse that Jesus endured while He was on the cross. That's what Mark tells us about most. It says in verse 29, the crowd was blaspheming Him, abusing Him verbally, and shaking their heads. To shake their heads at Jesus is like them calling Him worthless or despicable. Notice their words in verse 29-30. through 30. Ha! You who are going to destroy the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. The idea is this. If you have the power to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, surely you have the power to save yourself and come down from the cross. But we need to remember, what did Jesus mean when He talked about destroying and rebuilding the temple? He did say that. But what did he mean? Well, the Bible tells us. The first thing we need to remember is what the temple represents. The temple represents the place where God and people meet. But the temple Jesus was talking about, the Gospel of John tells us, was not the physical temple, it was the temple of his body. His body would be destroyed and raised three days later. And when that happened, Jesus became the place where God and people come together, where they meet. This is what I need you to understand. Because of the crucifixion, because of the cross, we can meet with God now in a way that wasn't possible before. Let me remind you of a scripture, Matthew 27, 50 and 51. This is telling us what happened while Jesus was on the cross the moment He died. Listen to it. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His spirit. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the curtain that separated the temple from the Holy of Holies. The presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant was. Nobody could go in there but the high priest and Him only once a year on the Day of Atonement. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom, meaning 
no man could do it because man would have had to tear it from the bottom. God opened the way into his presence when Jesus died. What the cross makes possible is for you and I now to be in the very presence of God. And not only that, it makes it possible for his presence to be in us. Because of Jesus and the cross, God is with us in a way he never was during the days of the physical temple. Through our relationship with Christ by faith, God is within us. And now 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit dwells within each and every one who is born again. Listen, that's only possible because Jesus went to the cross. So, when the crowd said, you say you're going to destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days? If you can do that, why don't you just come down from the cross? The reason Jesus couldn't come down from the cross is because if He did, we wouldn't have the presence of God with us and in us. The temple had to be destroyed before it could be rebuilt. He had to die if He was going to open the presence of God for you and I to come and dwell with God and God was, are you seeing what I'm telling you? That's why he couldn't come down. He was giving us access to God's presence. Now I want you to watch verses 31 and 32. It's not just the crowd that's blaspheming Jesus. The Jewish religious, the Jewish religious leaders are also mocking him. Notice what they're saying. He saved others. He can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. I want you to notice what they said. Pay attention to these words. He saved others. He cannot save himself. In those words is the key to why Jesus didn't come down from the cross. He saved others. He can't save himself. Why didn't Jesus save himself. Because he couldn't save himself and save others at the same time. He couldn't do both. If he saved himself, he couldn't save others. Are you following me? Jesus had to die on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of sin. Jesus was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by John the Baptist. How does the Lamb take away the sin of the world? He has to die as a sacrifice. The penalty for sin is death. So to save us from the penalty of sin, what does Jesus have to do? Die. And this truth is all over the New Testament. Let me give you just a couple of verses. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions. Mark 10, 45. 
Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus that washed away our sin. What does the song say? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the what? blood of Jesus. If Jesus doesn't shed that blood, there is no washing away of our sin. And if you look at verse 32, you'll find out even those two men hanging with Jesus were insulting him. Mark doesn't tell us what they were saying, but Luke does. In Luke 23, 39, Luke tells us the, the criminals were saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Another cry, save yourself and us. If you remember, Jesus did save one of them. He didn't save him from death, but he saved him from sin and hell. But why was that possible? They said, save yourself and us. Well, Jesus couldn't save them if he saved himself. He did save one of those men but it was only possible because he stayed on the cross. Listen, Jesus stayed on the cross. And because of that, the cross is our salvation. Are you, are you getting the picture? 25-year-old petty officer Michael Mansour was a Navy SEAL. He was fighting Iraqi insurgents west of Baghdad on September 29, 2006. Michael and four other Navy SEALs were in a, they were in a little structure on top of the roof of another building. Michael was standing in the doorway. It was the only door in and out of that structure. A grenade hit Michael in the chest. One of the other SEALs later said, Michael never took his eyes off of that grenade. His only movement was down toward it. Michael fell on the grenade. The grenade exploded. He was killed instantly. But by falling on the grenade, he saved his four comrades. Now, I want you to think about something. Michael, when he was hit with that grenade, was standing in the doorway. What could Michael have done? Stepped out of the door went around the side of the building. He possibly, probably could have saved himself. But the other soldier said he never took his eyes off of that grenade. He could have saved himself, but here's the problem. He couldn't save himself and save his comrades at the same time. If he lives, they die. To save them, he had to sacrifice himself. Don't you see what I'm saying to you tonight? It was the same way for Jesus. To save us, he had to sacrifice himself. Listen, why do we glory in the cross? Because on the cross, Jesus died to save us. He died so we could live. Why do we glory in the cross? Listen. Here's the whole message. You ready? Christians glory in the cross 
because it is Christ's coronation and our salvation. Christians glory in the cross because it is Christ's coronation and our salvation. In his memoir, Everything Sad is Untrue, Daniel Nayeri tells a story about his mother. His mother was a devout Muslim, but she was converted to saving faith in Jesus. She was a doctor, a wealthy woman. She gave up her wealth, her social status. Eventually, she was forced to flee from Iran, which is where they lived. She had been threatened with death and had to flee the country. But she was willing to pay the price. Daniel writes one example of his mother's faith in Jesus. One time while she still lived in Iran, she hung a little cross on a necklace on her rearview mirror in her car. And Daniel said, in Iran, that was probably reckless. But that's the way his mother was. Well, one day after work, she went to her car and there's a note stuck on the windshield and it said this, Madame Doctor, if we see this cross again, we will kill you. What did she do? Daniel said, she took the cross down that day. Then she got a cross so big it blocked half the windshield and she put it in its place. Listen. You and I may be called fools for bowing to a crucified Jew. We may be mocked and ridiculed for celebrating his bloody death. We may be laughed at for staking our eternal hopes on a man who was crucified as a criminal. Like Daniel's mother, our lives may be threatened. Even so, we must never be ashamed of the cross. We must glory in the cross. Listen, we don't just believe in the cross. We boast in the cross. We need to proclaim the cross loudly and boldly. We cannot afford to be silenced. We cannot afford to be censored. See, the world may look at the cross and see only defeat, but you and I know that the cross is where victory was won. The cross was more than a crucifixion. It was a coronation. The cross was more than an instrument of death. It was the doorway to life. Or, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Now and always, we as Christian people must glory in the cross. Let's pray.